Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good and safe holiday weekend. We know weather was a big story again and continues to be. Some very severe weather in places, more rain in other places. There were pockets where some field work was able to be done, and that's kind of the way it's been throughout the spring and sounds like it will be for at least another week or so. Uh, we got a lot to catch up on from uh, before the holiday weekend course the announcement of the market facilitation payments 2.0 if you will Uh, we'll be talking about that on the program today getting reaction from the national pork producers council and the national milk producers federation also we have several renewable fuels issues to discuss as we'll talk with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association when also today very happy to announce and welcome a new affiliate to Adams on Agriculture. We welcome KLMR in Lamar, Colorado. Ag Radio 920. They cover southeast Colorado, southwest Kansas, and much of the adjoining region. We're happy to be a part of their already very strong ag lineup. So welcome aboard KLMR in Lamar, Colorado. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. And welcome now to the editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyant. Sarah, thanks for joining us. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. We did. Uh, for the most part, the rain uh, missed my area here in west central Illinois. We got a little bit, but not as much as a lot of other folks. And that, that just continues to be the big story, isn't it? It certainly is, and as much as we think that maybe we'll get a day or two here and things will start to dry up and then the weather changes and our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to all those who have been hit not only by the storms coming through but some of these tornadoes uh, such as the ones that hit Jefferson City, Missouri, not too far from our Missouri office, and today in Ohio we had another person killed. So it's just the, the destruction continues, and certainly for farmers uh, across the Midwest, they feel their pain and they're struggling to get in the field to try and mother nature is just not cooperating yeah what a challenge it's been i was i was talking about this at church on sunday with someone that that oftentimes i have trouble remembering what happened on certain years you know a lot of people make those references to such you know certain years and i always get those mixed up but i've got a feeling 2019 is one that i'll remember and a lot of people will remember it'll be in our memory banks for a long long time it'll stand out yeah, I agree. It's just, you know, and you just don't see the end in sight. And then we've got all these confusing signals coming out of the federal government, and we thought we were going to have a disaster package that passed last mm-hmm. week, with the exception of it couldn't get past the House. So uh, all that just adds to the uncertainty. Yeah, it looked like on Friday a disaster package had been passed. The president would sign it, but there was one dissenting vote uh, in the House, and that stopped it, right? Absolutely. Congressman Chip Roy, who um, some people might have recognized, used to work for Senator Ted Cruz as a staff member, now a congressman from Texas, insisted on having a roll call vote. And he also wanted to see about where the offsets were going to be for $19.1 billion in federal spending. I think I can understand maybe the need to have a roll call vote instead of a UC, but what was trying to ha- occur, the 
the leadership in the House and Senate were trying to get this done quickly. It's been delayed and delayed and delayed, and here he piles on one more. Now, having said that, I do think that when they come back from this week of recess again, that maybe some cooler heads will prevail, and if uh, he can be negotiated with and try to get this disaster package move forward. But then you have a lot of questions about that. How is that going to play out? Um, there are provisions in that to help farmers who have not been able to plant for in 2019. Uh, about $3 billion has been set aside for that, also to help people who have lost grain and bends. And, of course, how does that work with the market facilitation payments 2.0 uh, that also uh, is promising additional funds to farmers? But, of course, we don't really know how those calculations are going to be made. So. Other than we know they're going to be on a county basis, but what does that look like? It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, what are those county payment rates going to be? And now you have farmers trying to decide, do we go prevent plant? Do we try to plant something uh, and, and get those pay- the market facilitation payments? Do we switch corn to soybeans? I mean, there's, there's just so many decisions, and here we are at the end of May. Absolutely, and you can see why you've got folks like Colin Peterson, the chairman of the House Ag Committee, saying he had tried to talk Secretary Sonny Perdue into holding off on some of those announcements in order to not sway planning decisions. They kept saying they didn't want to, uh, and he tried to convince them to wait for a little longer. But I think it was very clear that the president decided about a week or two ago that he was losing the confidence of farmers that he uh, has long said he's had their back, but they were not feeling that love. And so he said, we got to do something. And so they did something, but there still remains to be a lot of details unveiled of how it's going to work. And I think at the end of the day, there's still going to be some people, much like last year when we had a buck sixty-five a bushel for soybeans and a penny for corn, there's going to be some folks who are going to feel like, well, we still didn't get a square deal. Um, I think it's going to be different than last year, but how much different it remains to be seen. Yeah, and getting back to the weather, that'll be the uh, final decision maker there, whether they're going to plan or not in many cases. It may just not have a choice, and we'll see uh, how all this plays out. Meanwhile, on the trade front, still doesn't look real encouraging with China, but there's a little more optimism. It sounds like maybe something getting done with Japan. Yes, the president spent the last few days there, and it was a little bit more than just symbol wrestling and a few other uh, celebratory things with uh, the new leadership in Japan. He tweeted as he, as he was going in that beef exports had gained full access to Japan, the first time since 2000, and he hoped for further announcements soon. So that seemed to strike a positive chord on what could be happening in Japan, of course, We would have had a lot more going on with them if we had stayed in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but perhaps they can get that bilateral deal back on solid footing. So um, he's stopping in Alaska on his way back, and then we'll see from there what else might happen in terms of trade negotiations. But it seemed pretty positive on agriculture uh, in, in terms of the president's trip to Japan. Still seems like more questions than answers on most of these issues, though. Well, that's that's certainly the case, and you know they always say the devil's in the details, Mike. And this is in spades that we've got to get to the bottom of what some of these things mean. Uh, hopefully, we'll get back to the negotiating table with the Chinese too. Yes, indeed, uh, that would uh, that would help. Uh, so much uh, kind of you know 
on hold till we see what's going to happen there. And so many hopes pinned on something getting worked out uh, favorably with China. Sarah, as always, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to the coverage of your great team at AgriPulse uh, uh, in this coming week and the weeks ahead. You do a great job covering these stories. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll get the details out as soon as we can. I know you will. Thank you. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right. More reaction to Market Facilitation Program Payments 2.0. We'll talk with Dustin Baker with the National Pork Producers Council next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So we just talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Obviously, they are ecstatic that the uh, metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico have been lifted. We can talk about that as well with Colin Woodall for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, this was looked at as a a must-have to get USMCA moving forward, and I know you at NCBA are happy to have uh, those tariffs lifted. We're extremely happy to see these tariffs lifted now, we're in a little bit different shape from our friends in the pork industry because they were really getting hammered with the tariffs. But we were also, though, however, really pushing to try to get these tariffs taken down because we knew if we wanted to have a chance of getting a vote on USMCA, the tariffs were going to have to be a part of this deal. So the fact that this is done uh, earlier is, I think, going to be overall very beneficial to uh, the process of getting a vote and finally passing USMCA and putting this chapter behind us. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we continue to wait for details on Market Facilitation Program Payments 2.0, we do at least know it's a different approach than the last time, and we're waiting on that county payment rate that uh, will have uh, the big unknown still at this point. But we're still gathering initial reaction to this round of uh, payments and the approach that the government is taking. Joining us now with a pork perspective is Dustin Baker, Director of Economics and Domestic Production Issues for the National Pork Producers Council. Dustin, thanks for joining us. Uh, what is your initial reaction from the pork industry's view of uh, this new approach and what it will mean for pork producers this time around? Well, thank you very much for having me, Mike. And I guess initially, you know, we were pleased that we were included as part of this trade retaliation package again. Um, it's it's definitely a positive that the administration and the White House is recognizing the fact that our farmers have really borne the brunt of this Chinese trade retaliation that we've had over the last year or so. And it's important to note that the trade aid will help repair some of the damage that has been inflicted upon U.S. pork producers, but uh, it's not going to make them whole, and it's not a long-term solution. So we're still waiting for details, uh, just like everyone else, but as of right now, it looks like our pork producers will fare well both with the market facilitation program payments as well as with commodity purchases as well. Have you received any indication of how this might work for pork producers? You know, we're we're waiting on details just like everyone else. Um, my initial understanding is that it'll be a similar setup to the last time around where we'll look at of hogs based on a certain date and, and payments will be based on that on that hog inventory. Uh, but as we look at it, you know, what really has the potential to lift all boats for all We're really excited about the product purchases. If you recall in the first uh, go-around with, with the trade aid, uh, we were able to get almost $559 million in, in product purchases, which helps take product off the domestic market and get them into the hands of society's most uh, needy in the form of uh, food assistance programs. And so we're hoping that we're going to be able to get a sizable chunk of purchases again this time around uh, because, again, it's a short-term solution, uh, but we're not losing sight of the fact that, you know, we really need to find a solution uh, to end this Chinese trade dispute that we're facing because as of right now there's an unprecedented sales opportunity in China as their domestic herd has shrunk as a result of disease. And uh, we're sitting on the sidelines right now, so we're hoping that we can get in there sooner than later. But they are. China is buying some U.S. pork. But as you point out, there's such an opportunity there that we're not able to take full advantage of because of this trade situation with China. Well, that's exactly right. Um, the Chinese pork industry is, is suffering immensely from African swine fever, and the latest government figures show that their sow herd is 22% lower at the end of April than it was a year ago. So there's significant and unprecedented opportunity uh, to fill some of that need in, in the world's largest consuming uh, pork-consuming nation. And so as of right now, we have a 50% retaliatory tariff on top of a 12% that we already had. So U.S. pork products are facing a 62% tariff going into China, while the rest of the world faces a 12% tariff. So we really have been priced out of the market, and we're sitting on the sidelines. 
Uh, and so we're hoping that we can, we can get in there and, and get some sort of resolution there to end those punitive tariffs and, and allow our, our producers to, to provide product to that market. And Dustin, we keep hearing stories of more outbreaks showing that they still do not have that disease under control. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely seems to be uh, continuing to spread. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to speculate on, on what numbers, what that means for numbers or, or anything like that. But, but we, what we do know is that this has the opportunity to fundamentally change uh, not only the pork industry, but, but all protein across the world for, for some time to come. So it's, a, it's an unprecedented opportunity that we're just hoping to get on a level playing field with our competitors. We're talking with Dustin Baker with the National Pork Producers Council. Now, you did receive good news when uh, the t- metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico were lifted. That certainly impacts uh, the pork industry. Yeah, that was that was great news for us. Uh, that was a really positive development that zero tariff trade to Mexico was restored uh, when those tariffs were, were lifted. And, you know, the North American market is extremely important to U.S. pork producers. About 40% of all of our exports last year went to Mexico and Canada. So Mexico is our largest value market and our second largest value market for U.S. pork and pork products. And overall, those two markets support about 16,000 U.S. jobs across the country. So uh, it was definitely an important step forward uh, toward getting uh, USMCA ratified, and and hopefully we'll we'll get that ratified here uh, soon. And, and continue business as normal because those those markets are extremely important for the U.S. pork producers' bottom line. The president has been talking with Japan. Are you optimistic about a deal with Japan? We are optimistic about a deal with Japan. Um, Japan, if we look at, at a, on a value on a value basis, Japan is our number one market. Um, so that supports about thirteen thousand U.S. jobs across the country. And it's important to note that Japan has new trade agreements with the EU and with the CPTPP, which is what the TPP was before the U.S. uh, pulled out of it. So as those trade agreements are being put into place, uh, the U.S. is really being priced out of that Japanese market as EU and other competitors, uh, you know, face tariff advantages there. So it's really causing an erosion of the U.S. port market share in Japan. And so we're hoping that, that we can get a solution there sooner than later in order to uh, continue to, to provide value for, for our producers' bottom lines. Dustin, back to African swine fever. I know all precautions are being taken to keep it out of the United States. It's obviously, uh, you know, there's no vaccine for it. So uh, kind of give us an idea, again, of what's being done to try to keep it out of the U.S. Sure. Well, there's a number of different approaches. Uh, the best way to uh, to safeguard our industry is to keep it out of here in the first place. And so our folks have been working very closely with uh, counterparts over at the National Port Board, the Swine Health Information Center, as well as USDA on a daily basis uh, to make sure that everyone is coordinated and that, that we're working together to keep that disease out of here. Uh, we've also been working very closely with Customs and Border Protection uh, that help uh, inspect not only shipments coming into this country, uh, but as well as travelers uh, that are coming in from, from international uh, markets as well. So uh, we're, it's top of mind for us. Uh, we're staying vigilant, trying to make sure that we keep it out of here um, and, and working with our, with our producers to make sure that they can uh, quickly uh, recognize uh, any symptoms and, and working with uh, USDA to make sure that we have diagnostic capabilities as well. 
Yeah, we're, we're seeing the devastating effects of that disease. And as I mentioned, no vaccine. And it doesn't sound like they'll be able to develop one anytime real soon. Yeah, I mean, from, from anyone that I talk to, when we talk to our veterinarians, it's a really difficult virus to, um, to make a vaccine for. And, and so at this point, you know, our best bet is, is to keep it out of here in the first place because, because you're right, there is no vaccine um, and it's very difficult to deal with. So um, for that reason, again, China presents a tremendous opportunity for pork producers around the world. Uh, and we're looking to get on a level playing field so that, so that our producers uh, can continue to take advantage of that. If that is, no, you don't, no one wishes ill on anyone else, but this situation is occurring. They have a tremendous need for, for protein. Um, it, just, it, it just seems like we're so close to being able to have this great market opportunity, but uh, we can't get through that door yet. Yeah, it feels that way. Um, as we look at the the impact that that uh, Chinese trade dispute has had on our producers over the last year, it's cost U.S. pork producers about $8 a hog, um, or about a billion dollars on an annualized basis um, because of the 50% tariffs that we face there. Um, producers felt serious economic harm over the last year. We're also kind of on the outside looking in at this opportunity that that the ASF presents over in China. So uh, we're hoping that, that again, this, this trade aid that we're received is really a short-term solution, but we're looking for a long-term solution sooner than later. All right, Dustin, thank you. That's Dustin Baker, Director of Economics and Domestic Production Issues for the National Pork Producers Council. Dustin, thank you very much. Yep, thank you for having me. All right. A little bit later in the program, we'll get uh, some reaction from the dairy industry to the Market Facilitation Program 2.0 and uh, what it means for dairy producers that are really struggling and need uh, some assistance. And we'll talk with the, the Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation a little bit later on. But coming up next, several big issues for the ethanol industry. Will we get E15 approved for this summer? We've got some uh, legislation being proposed with things with EPA and the RFS. So there's a lot happening when it comes to renewable fuels right now. Some very critical issues and decisions coming up. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, U.S. agriculture celebrates the lifting of metal tariffs against Mexico and Canada. That includes the U.S. dairy industry, part of that celebration. Joining us now is Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Tell us the impact of those tariffs on U.S. dairy exports. And now that they are, are lifted, give us an idea of what that now means moving forward for U.S. dairy producers. We're absolutely 
absolutely elated that we finally have a resolution on this issue. The Mexican retaliatory tariffs on our cheese exports have been a heavy hang, particularly in terms of companies' certainty with their most important export market in Mexico and the resulting slowback to farmers that have been forced to bear the brunt of 20 to 25 percent retaliatory tariffs on those products over the last uh, several months here since last summer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Heavy rains are expected to continue through the farm belt through the weekend. According to USDA, May 31st, the final corn planting date for Iowa and assorted areas of six different states, while June 5th, the final date for four others. Meanwhile, final dates for soybean planting just around the corner. The Midwest weather forecast for the West calling for moderate to heavy rainfall, moderate to heavy rain in central and northern areas of the eastern Corn Belt. Six to ten day outlook, temperatures variable, precipitation near to above normal. Friday's commitment of traders report from the CFTC showed traders still holding large short positions on the grains, especially in soybeans. Continued weather issues expected to make the short covering rallies prevalent in corn the past few weeks extending into soybeans, especially as final bean planting dates come into focus. An hour into the trading day, some 17 to 19 cents higher in soybeans. July up 18 and a half at 848 and a quarter. July corn up nine at 413 and a quarter. A rally underway in the weights. Chicago July up 13 and a half at 503. Kansas City July up 16 and a quarter at 458 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat July up nine at 557 an hour into the day. Livestock at the Merck, the July lean hog contract continues to fall. Pork cutoff prices continue to drop. That's not normal for this time of year, especially with grilling season starting in earnest post Memorial Day. July lean hogs down a dollar sixty seven, eighty six twenty seven. June live cattle up sixty seven at one eleven eighty five. Feeder catalogus down 25, 142.92. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your planned purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Always good to talk with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Lots of things to talk about. I guess we won't talk so much about our Cardinals right now. <laughs> yeah, let's, there's enough bad news, Mike. Let's skip over that one. Yeah, we'll just skip that for the time being and hope for better things to come. All right, uh, well, first of all, we look at the calendar. It's the 28th of May. Are we going to get E15 approved by June 1? Well, everything we hear is that uh, EPA remains on track to get this final rulemaking on uh, year-round E15 done by the end of the week. Uh, May 31st is on Friday, so we're three days away. Uh, That's a date we've had circled on our calendars since early October last fall uh, when President Trump went to Council Bluffs and, and announced that he was directing his EPA to get this done. So. Here we are nearly eight months later. We're on the doorstep of, of finally getting this, this rule across the finish line. Everything we hear is that it's, it's, it's going to happen by the end of the week. Jeff, how much of the country does this impact? Because we know some places, many markets, have E15 year-round already. That, that's, that's right, Mike. There is almost one-third of the market uh, today, uh, reformulated gasoline markets, um, that allow the sale of E15 year-round because they have the right gasoline blend stock. That, gas, that base gasoline they're using to make E15 already has a volatility that is low enough to allow the blending of, of E15 year-round. Uh, still, we haven't seen uh, a lot of uptake in those markets uh, just because of the, you know, the, the, the boutique fuels issue. It's, it's tough to um, even when you have RFG markets where, where this would be allowed, it's, it's, it's tough for retailers uh, who may own some stores in, in some of those markets and some outside of those markets in the more conventional markets. Uh, and having, you know, kind of this, this difference and discrepancy in the marketplace has been a deterrent. And uh, so hopefully that's going to go away on Friday when we see this final rule. But, Jeff, has the impact already been muted somewhat in that the uncertainty of not having it done before now, has that kept some retailers from going ahead and putting in the infrastructure and being ready to go because they just didn't know if it was going to be approved or not? Yeah, there, there certainly are a, a number of retailers that uh, remain on the sidelines. They're, they're waiting, kind of standing by, waiting for the go-ahead signal. Uh, and they were hesitant to make the investments uh, necessary just based on um, you know the fact that, th- that that this isn't done yet, um, and, and so you know I, I think where we're seeing the most impact is is for those retailers in conventional gasoline markets that are already offering E15 uh, that in the absence of this final rule would have to stop um, you know this coming weekend before June 1st. Uh, so I, I, those will be the the retailers that will be able to react most quickly to this. Um, you know if we see a rule on Friday as we're expecting they will be able to continue selling E15 uh, throughout the summer, and it should coax um, some of those retailers standing on the sidelines um, into the marketplace and and finally free up that investment that they've been sitting on and kind of waiting on a a signal from EPA. So, so yeah, I mean, I I think um, that certainty that the marketplace has been looking for, uh, we should finally see uh, here in the next several days. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Of course, the other thing that uh, somewhat lessens the impact of getting the E15 year-round uh, uh, program in place is the fact that the EPA continues to grant RFS waivers. And we've had news that the uh, you know they 
even though they were using the excuse that they had to do it because of a court ruling. We've now found out or stories indicate that uh, they were granting those waivers even before that court decision came down. And now we have some in Congress that want uh, a probe, an investigation into EPA and how they're granting these waivers. What can you tell us about that? Well, you're, you're right, Mike. I mean, the, the small refiner exemptions that EPA has been giving out, uh, allowing, uh, you know, several dozen refiners, it, basically excusing them from their RFS obligations to blend renewable fuels, uh, that's obviously had a significant impact on our markets the last few years. Um, and, and now we do have uh, some, some activity in Congress uh, that is, you know, hopefully going to put a stop to uh, these small refiner exemptions. Last week, we saw a couple big developments. First, we had Senator Duckworth from Illinois uh, sending a letter to, EP- to EPA and, and calling on the EPA Office of the Inspector General uh, to conduct an investigation and look into whether EPA was inappropriately granting these small refiner exemptions um, and, and if it was uh, subverting the, the process that's in place to evaluate these petitions uh, correctly, so that was that was one positive development, and and we're uh, grateful to Senator Duckworth for stepping forward and sending that letter. Uh, the other thing we saw last week is we saw legislation introduced by uh, Representatives uh, Peterson and Johnson uh, that would basically do two things. One is it would, if a small refiner wants an exemption, uh, it would uh, you know specify a deadline. Uh, for that petition to be received by EPA, and that deadline would be in advance of the agency setting the final RFS volume. So that would allow EPA to reallocate all refiners. It would keep the RFS whole. That's something we've been uh, pushing EPA to do for some time. The second thing that legislation would do is it would shine some light on who is actually getting these small refiner exemptions. Um, as you know, Mike, there's been no transparency around this process, uh, and this this bill basically says, look, you can't hide behind a claim of confidential business information if you are getting one of these exemptions. If you're asking for an exemption and receiving one, the public ought to know who you are and, and why you're getting this exemption. So we have quite a bit happening here, and we watch what, uh, what comes of all this. What was your reaction, though, Jeff, well, to hear and see these stories that EPA was granting those waivers before that court decision came down. Well, it was it was frustrating. It did confirm some suspicions we had that that may have been the case, just based on um, kind of our own uh, timeline that we had been putting together. I mean, it, we, we've heard both the, the previous EPA administrator Scott Pruitt and the current EPA administrator Andrew Wheeler say, you know, look, my, my, our hands are tied. We have to grant these exemptions because of this court decision that, that came down in the Sinclair versus EPA case. Uh, well, we come to find out that they were, you know, had changed course and were handing out these exemptions before that decision had been decided uh, in the Tenth Circuit. And so, you know, that just confirmed some of our fears and suspicions uh, that the, the whole process had been changed and politicized at EPA uh, well in advance of this court decision. Um, it, it certainly does take that argument off the table now, and, and I, I think that's one reason you saw the, the level of activity on Capitol Hill last week that we saw is, is you know, it's clear that uh, uh, some folks at EPA have not been truthful in, in, in what is really happening behind the curtain with this process. 
And finally, what do we know about uh, the proposal EPA is making for RVO levels for next year? We're hearing about maybe some some changes possibly in that. What are you hearing? Well, the the proposal for the 2020 RFS volumes uh, went to the White House uh, just within the last week or two for review. Um, we are told that uh, uh, that the 2020 RFS volume for conventional biofuel will be 15 billion gallons. Um, but again, those numbers are fairly meaningless um, as long as EPA continues to grant small refiner exemptions. And you can't put any stock in any of those numbers uh, so long as EPA is, is handing out these exemptions. Uh, you know, we're also told that they will be addressing the uh, 500 million gallon remand um, where a couple years ago the court told EPA, hey, um, you cheated the biofuels industry out of 500 million gallons in the 2016 RFS. You owe that back to them. You need to figure out a way to restore that lost volume. Um, EPA says they're addressing that somehow in this 2020 RFS proposal. We don't understand exactly um, how they'd be addressing that. If, if they're, you know, on one hand saying we're giving you a 15 billion gallon RVO, and on the other hand saying we're also addressing this 500 million gallons of lost demand. Those two things seem at odds. If they were truly addressing that remand, would expect to see an RVO for conventional biofuels of 15.5 billion gallons. And, and we're hearing that's not what's in there. And finally, Jeff, the situation with China, uh, it impacts all of agriculture. It, an area I think a lot of people overlook is how much it impacts the ethanol industry because that can be a huge market for ethanol. Oh, it, it was a huge market for ethanol at one point. We sent uh, 200 million gallons to China in 2016, and, and ever since then we've uh, you know, been basically frozen out of the market. Uh, we haven't sent a drop of ethanol to China in the last several months because of the, the tariffs. Uh, and distillers grains, our, our co-product, uh, China was the top market for our uh, DDG exports for a very long time. At one point, China was taking half of our total exports of, of distillers grains. Uh, again, today we're shipping hardly any distillers grains to China. Uh, so yes, it, it, it has been a huge market, uh, and the potential for uh, you know future demand in China is even greater. We know that country is moving to a, a 10% ethanol blending requirement nationwide. Uh, we know they're going to need imported ethanol to help meet that um, requirement. Uh, so yeah, we, we are keeping a very close eye on the uh, discussions around the, the trade war with China and hoping for a quick resolution uh, where ethanol and distillers grains can, can get back into that market. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. T take care. Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, up next, the dairy industry's reaction to the uh, market facilitation program 2.0, and we'll talk some other dairy issues as well coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. 
Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you here bringing you what's next you're going to need me you're going to need us all of us you're going to need our technical skills our math our engineering skills you're going to need our help with your water your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise 
We'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, thanks for joining us. So what's the dairy industry's reaction to market facilitation payments 2.0? Well, thanks, Mike, for having me on. Hope everybody's having a good morning. Um, I think we are really waiting to see the details at this point. Uh, you know, I think we saw last week out of the announcement that took place at the White House that they're going to do, as you said, another round of market facilitation payments, but we don't yet know what the different payment rates are going to be for the different commodities. So we're uh, obviously appreciative that they're doing something given the, uh, the trade challenges that are there, but we are continuing to push for a package that reflects the damages and the really significant damages that dairy has endured here. A couple of the points we've been making is that from July of last year up until March of this year, when the retaliation from both China and Mexico took effect, we estimate that dairy farmers have lost $2.3 billion in income over that time, and that figure aligns with several other economic analyses that have been done. And moreover, as it relates to China specifically, we expect that dairy farmers in the U.S. are going to lose roughly $4.8 billion in revenue from just the China retaliation over the three-year period that started last year in 2018 and that will go to next year in 2020. So... Uh, that's also based on an economic analysis, and these are very significant figures, so we are pushing very hard on USDA and the White House to make sure that as they finalize this payment program, uh, that the, the damage uh, is reflected in the payment rates. Do you get any indication or feel how far along they are in making those uh, determinations and how this is going to, the final results going to come out? Uh, not a lot of indication yet. One thing I think we got a sense of last week is that as it relates to some of the grain crops, grain commodities, they are, uh, they are hesitant to put out information too quickly because they don't want to have a distorting impact on planting decisions, obviously, that producers have to make. So we don't know exactly when we're going to get the payment rates. We do know that they're anticipating the first round of payments uh, going out in the July to August time frame, as they announced last week. They said that would be the first round which would likely be the largest round. The second round might be in the fall. They threw out November as a possibility, I think. And the third and final round could be sometime in early 2020. So that's kind of what we know right now. We, we don't know much more than that. One thing that we do know, uh, we had an issue last year on the dairy side as it related to adjusted gross income, given that the market facilitation payment setup was subject to the AGI requirements that, yeah, have a, an AGI of $900,000 or less, so you wouldn't be able to be in the program. Uh, in the disaster aid deal that the Senate passed last week and the House is going to pass either this week or next week, uh, there is a provision actually to exempt producers of, of various commodities 
from that AGI requirement as long as 75% or more of their income comes from sort of farming, ranching, or forestry activities. So that's being done legislatively by the Congress in the disaster aid bill that we understand the president is going to sign when he reaches his desk, either this week or next week. Uh, but beyond that, we uh, unfortunately don't really have the details on the MFP. Now, you do, uh, I know you're happy that the metal tariffs were lifted on, on uh, Mexico and Canada. Hopefully, this is going to uh, take us a big step forward in passing USMCA. I think I think uh, that's correct. We're we're certainly pleased that that happened, and I think we're hopeful that the removal of those tariffs sort of paves the way now to get into maybe a resolution on some of the remaining issues there, and then hopefully adoption of the agreement. I think that's right. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, there's still some uh, a lot of hurdles to overcome on on USMCA, but that was a big one. Uh, bring us up to date, Paul, uh, on the uh, the dairy programs. Uh, that are available to farmers, uh, they look at the different options. What are you seeing? What are you hearing as far as uh, uh, the level of interest? Sure. When I was on a few weeks ago, I think I touched on the dairy hearing that happened in the House Ag Committee at the end of April, and there's certainly a great deal of interest in the new dairy margin coverage program. Uh, I can report that based on the, the March 2019 margin, the program will pay out yet again in the month of March following on January and February. And as I said last time I was on, uh, just the January and February payments alone, when totaled together, it will more than cover the cost of the entire year premium for a dairy farmer if you sign up for that 950 coverage level on your Tier 1. As of now, we understand that the final rule uh, that USDA has put together on the dairy margin coverage program has been submitted to the U.S. Uh, Office of Management and Budget, which is part of the White House that kind of goes to the final approval process on new programs and things like that. So. As far as we understand everything, it is still on track for the June 17th sign-up. So we're going to continue to be monitoring that situation very closely, but uh, it would appear that the process on the BMC is proceeding uh, accordingly. You feel in talking to producers there's any confusion about these different programs, or is it just a matter of trying to uh, do their due diligence, sort through, and figure out what's best for their operation? I think it's a matter mostly of doing that due diligence. Like, I think, you know, you have so many different options now, which we think is a very good thing, but we do want to make sure in, in our education as well in the industry that producers understand that that new DMC option is really a good option, you know, for a certain amount of that coverage there, that Tier 1 coverage, no matter what else you might do on the either on the catastrophic side for additional coverage or on the RMA side as well. DMC is, can be a very straightforward option at that 950 coverage level. So we've been kind of beating the drum on that over the last several months as we've been waiting for the program to be formally rolled out. So I think as producers do that due diligence that we're talking about and, and get up to speed, uh, I would expect that come this summer when the sign-up opens, there'll be a great deal of interest. And like the rest of agriculture, the dairy industry is uh, hoping for some good news on, on uh, trade talks with China and Japan. That's absolutely right. I think we continue to watch that very closely. We know the president was on a trip to Japan in the last several days and has returned to Washington, but I think we're hopeful, as our, our friends in agriculture are across the board, for quick resolutions on, in those negotiations. All right, uh, Paul, thank you very much. So we continue to wait and get those details on the, this uh, latest round of market facilitation program payments. Uh, so much uh, uh, uncertainty yet, unknown, and hopefully we'll get those answers soon. Thanks for being with us, Paul. Appreciate it. Paul Blyberg, he's Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. 
So that's going to wrap it up for today. Again, tomorrow we will try to uh, continue to get more reaction and uh, more information on the market facilitation program payments and uh, look at uh, their impact and the impact of this uh, delayed planting and in some cases uh, lack of planting. Prevent plant is a big part of the picture this year, that's for sure. We'll talk about that and more on the weather. Uh, We'll be talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson tomorrow as well. So hope you'll join us right here on AOA.